we all have an opinion and I have the right to say that you're wrong. And the moment I say you are wrong, you call me intolerant of your idea because you think my idea is God-given and a right. And if you differ with me, you are intolerant of my idea. You use this old strategy to believe that your views are superior and all these stupid other people around you uh, don't know what they're speaking about. You can disagree, but to call people dinosaurs simply because they disagree, I think is not on for me. Hello, my name is Donald and welcome to the number one media company, Worldview. At Worldview, we explore everyone's perspectives on all things that can broaden our worldview. Just a quick note, I have a bit of a call today. That's my eyes are a bit red and my voice is a bit hoarse. So don't worry, I haven't turned into a vampire. I just have a bit of a cold. Today's discussion is going to be very interesting, a debate on the legacy of apartheid. 28 years have passed since apartheid as we know it was formally abolished. Can we still blame it for the problems of today? Have South Africans moved on or does the legacy of apartheid still hold us back? Joining us is an exciting panel that will help us answer all of these questions. We have um, the CEO of Afriform, Kali Kriel. Kali is, of course, the Afriform is, of course, a very powerful South African civil rights organization. And then we have the outspoken Dr. Piet Krokamp, who is also a lecturer at Northwest University. So, Piet, I'm, I'm going to throw the controversial question to you, and I'd love to hear your opinion. It's been 28 years since the fall of apartheid. Can we still blame it for the problems of today? Well, Donald, you give away a bit of your ideology behind it. First of all, it's an old uh, chestnut uh, introduction to a sentence, can uh, it's been 28 years. And then the second thing that you give away is when you say, can we still blame it on apartheid? So I, I know, now I've got some idea where your head is standing too. I think you and the white solarized movement, Kali Krill, is in agreement at least with the questions, uh, as far as the questions are concerned. Okay, um, I think blame is the wrong word. Uh, because I think not even the ANC, and I'm talking about uh, those in, in the position of making decisions and changing things, not even them, I think, uh, um, well, some of them still from time to time do, but generally it's not ANC policy anymore to, to blame the ANC. I think we have accepted the fact that we ruined our prospects, we ruined our uh, capacities. I spoke to Davi Root last night and he said to me, if we grew at 4%, which is quite possible in the South African economy, we would have doubled uh, our uh, 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 gross domestic product in South Africa. We would have doubled the size of the economy. Uh, every person in South Africa would have at least doubled the annual income that they have now. So yes, we have ruined pretty much uh, most of what we could have been. And we are, in world terms, we are certainly declining comparatively. Uh, the question now is, and I think that's where you uh, uh, want to focus, is the question is, uh, what is responsible for this? Uh, and does what we did during the years of apartheid, does it still have an impact? It certainly has an impact. I think societies are molded over uh, millennia. And eventually you become the impact and the influences in the system that you had over time. You, you will be the result of all that. There's no doubt about that. I don't think there's a single society, not even American politics. If you look at the, the large number of people that get murdered at schools, in America. It's got everything to do with the civil rights movement. It's got everything to do long before that with the civil war in America and the right to bear arms and the militarization of American culture. So yes, the history indeed do define you. It does tell us something of what you are. We have, let me just give you one example in South Africa, and I'm sure there are plenty, and I'm not saying yes, we can blame the past on what is happening in the present, but I'm saying the traces of the past is always present in the immediate as well. So 63% of all children in South Africa have no clue who their father is or where he is. If you want to map that, and you, you can look at the Botswana and, and uh, Zimbabwe and other countries just a little bit north of us, there's a different pattern there. And there's no doubt in my mind that some of that origin at least must come from the homeland policy. What we did is we said black South Africans only have rights in homelands and they must live there. 
Then we extract the men to come and live in the mines and in the industries to build this, the apartheid economy. So what we do, we break up the black family. Then we liberate the policy a little bit and we say now the women can also come and work in various places. But for obvious reasons, the women don't necessarily go and work where their husbands are. They work where they find a job. So now the children are often left behind uh, in, the, in the homeland area. So we've broken up the black family. And even today in the black middle class family, you see exactly the same thing. The men are absent, broken families. In 63% of the cases, there are no men in that family. It's one, it's a single parent household. And in almost 50% of those cases where it's a single parent household, it's not necessarily the biological mother. That's the parent. So if you want to uh, understand what is one of the things, and, and there's no doubt in my mind, and I think I've seen enough research to confirm that, that a broken family eventually leads to a higher crime levels. It leads to uh, teenage pregnancies. It leads to all the social evils or a large number of the social evils that you have in, in society with this high crime rate, uh, drug abuse, broken families. It leads to, or it originates in the family structure for many, many years. And that's my last point here, for many years. And I think that that's what is tragic about American politics. Until about Reagan or perhaps just after Reagan, the key word in every American election was, it is about family values. Have you noticed that the Americans don't say that anymore in the, in the election, national election campaigns? The same thing in South Africa. If you want to find the root of the violence, the conflict, the fragmentation in South Africa, the destruction of the black family lies right at the root of that. Yes, so in that respect, we are a bit of our past too, but I won't use the word blame. And I certainly uh, won't introduce you the way you introduced the question. Yes. Thank you, Pete. Um, yeah, I think this will boil down to a question of relativity. So obviously, I think no one will say apartheid has nothing to do with the, 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 the problems of today, but it will be an argument of 10%, 20%, 40%, 70%. But yeah, Kali, I'd love to give you, uh, you an opportunity to deliver your opinion. Yeah, thank you, Donald, and uh, thank you, Pete. I just want to make uh, one correction. Uh, Pete referred to the White Civil Rights Organization. Uh, we're an inclusive um, Africana civil rights organization, and there, there is a difference in that regard. Um, I'm going to start off uh, by agreeing, agreeing with Pete with regard to the value of family. And I think uh, many of the ills that we see is because we don't have strong families as a foundation on which we can build a society. When it comes to apartheid, and that is why I'm very glad that we have this debate, because it gives us an opportunity to have a nuanced debate. Um, because a nuanced debate is not always necessary. If I take an example, just with regard to your question, is if we say, can we blame apartheid um, for what is happening today, then naturally people would want an answer to say yes or no. And that of course um, is not possible. If you're going to say no, uh, then of course people will say you're an apartheid denialist, you're denying the infringement on the dignity of people that we've seen that have also led to a lack of self-confidence in many regards. If you say yes, then you go to the other pole to say, um, uh, we look at this problem as something outside of ourselves. And if something is outside of yourself, you cannot solve it. And so I would rather want to answer this, this question in a de developmental way and to say, should we blame apartheid for the ills that we see today? And developmentally, uh, the problem is um, if you go that route to say, and your argument is who did what to us, and uh, then the solution is what are we going to do to them today? Um, then you're not going to find a solution. So even though you recognize the infringement of the dignity of people, if you say, well, we should not blame apartheid because that creates circumstances where you can ask another question to say what role that we play in terms of coming to the position we are today, but then the solution is what can we do to solve this, this problem? And uh, you can look at history, there are many examples. Um, if you look at Japan after the bombings of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, 
Um, you had lots of reason for anger by the Japanese people towards the Americans. Um, and of course, that anger probably did not go away. But what they said is, we are in this situation now, what can we do ourselves? And they did not westernize. They decided to use uh, what was modern in the Western world that could be used, but they stuck to their culture. And we know a few years ago, ago the econ economy has changed, but the, Japan became an economic powerhouse. And the same applies in terms of um, Afrikaner history. To this day, you will find people that are very negative towards what happened during the Anglo-Boer War, the concentration camps. And after the war, um, Afrikaners were negative about the, the British. And as I've said, in, in some sense still today, but what did not happen um, after the, the Anglo-Boer War is you did not go to the British to say, you did this to us, you have to now solve the situation. Um, you had things like the Help Makar Bewegung, Help Each Other movement that came after the, the rebellion of 1914. Then you had the, the Economische Volkscongress, the Economic People's Congress to say, uh, what can we as a community do to come out of, of, of this situation? And if we blame the British, we would have said, you know, you have to give us shares in Barclays Bank and we have to take over the bank. But because the answer was something else, was to say, let's build our own bank, the Volkskas and all those kind of issues. And um, if we're going to solve the problems, and there are many problems in the country today, we need to make sure to say, what are we going to do now? And that is where Afri Forum is focusing. And I think family is something that Pete mentioned is important. Education is important. If we have 80% of schools that are dysfunctional, and you can blame apartheid for it, but um, you can also say today you have the South African Democratic Teachers Union, uh, that has a hold on schools, making sure that there is no discipline and you have teachers that aren't in classes, then you are able to say we need to address these uh, problems rather than blaming someone else. Mm. But uh, Pete, it seems like, okay, if I'm paraphrasing Kali correctly, um, he's, he's sort of saying we need to accept what went wrong in the past and move on. But it seems like a, a lot of white people struggle to accept what went wrong during apartheid and accept responsibility for that? Um, I, I don't find the way that Kali think about these things interesting because I, I'm, I'm quite familiar with it. Listen carefully to what he says. He used the analogy of the Boer War. It was a foreign force, foreigners, that has done the harm to Afrikaans people. As if it the same analogy applied to South Africa, as if uh, when black people ask white South Africans to uh, become part of the solution and address the problems of the past, as if they talk, it's a foreign relationship. You see this thing when white South Africa and black South Africa defines your historical frame of mind, how you think about it. We're talking about South Africans doing things to South Africans. We're not talking about black people doing things to white people from a foreign country. It's two very, very different things. So the analogy of the Boer War doesn't work. It's a different, I don't know, but it, but it does tell you how they see that. You will also see how they see the solution. The solution is do something for ourselves again first. And then we will reach out in some humanitarian way to other societies and help where we can, can within the means of our resources available. Um, I'm not sure if that's the way to solve the problems. I'm not even sure if that is the way to explain the past of South Africa. But if you, if you, if your explanation of how did we get here is so completely distorted and wrong, how will we ever find a consensus to fix the problems of South Africa? Well, we found a constitution in the night between 1990 and 1994 and eventually 1996, in an, which is a, a form of a compromise which accepts that we have done things wrong in the past without necessarily laying the blame very specifically at somebody's door. And we said, let's build on this. And the ANC ruined it to such an extent for all South Africans that it's almost impossible for us to say, now, what is the damage of apartheid? And what's the damage of the ANC government? It, it's not possible to, 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 to pull this thing apart and say, okay, this part is to blame on apartheid and this part is to blame on the ANC. The ANC has ruined it. it, it it's so completely ruined. 
Now, I don't think an analysis makes a lot of sense, but let me put it to you this way. If we're going to solve this problem, and I listened to, to, uh, to Cornel Mulder the last few days because we talk a lot about coalition politics in South Africa, and he's from the Freedom Front. For all practical purposes, uh, not too far from the mindset of Kali. But he's got a very interesting and a very pragmatic mind about it. I'm, I'm sure if he talks on behalf of his party, he will still define South Africa as white and black and the history, the way the colleague defines it. Maybe he will. But the way that he goes about in solving the problems of South Africa, he's got a very, very different attitude. He doesn't prey on this historical thing about blacks being foreigners and whites occupying South Africa, or whites owning South Africa. And now we somehow have to reach a sort of a compromise which bring black South Africans into the fold of the, 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 the political system. He, he doesn't have that mind. The way that Kali phrased the history and the way that he phrased the future and he phrased the solution, it, 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 it is incredibly problematic. And it, if you don't find a form of a consensus between all South Africans about where we are, it's going to be difficult to, 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 to uh, be part of the solution. I, let me just, uh, uh, one last thing. I wonder, I said that maybe we as South Africans must uh, admit that we stole the land from black people. Because in a sense, yes, we, if, you, if you look at the legislation that prevented black South Africans from owning a business, from owning land uh, in, in white South Africa, uh, the forced removals, then we must say, yes, we acted in a way which could be construed as stealing the land. It's not only what I think what happened, it's also what other people who was the victim, who were the victims, what they think about it. And if we argue, okay, good, the process eventually deprived black people of the land and it's possible for them to define it as theft. Okay, so now we can talk about ownership in South Africa. We can redefine it, but we can lay down the basic principle that ownership is important. The one way of empowering black South Africans is by giving them ownership. But you stigmatize the notion of ownership if you keep on denying that ownership had played a role in the past as well. So and just the, the thing about Courtney Mulder, it's, I find it interesting the pragmatic way with which he goes about in explaining the, 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 you know, our contemporary conditions and the solution to the future. Because in some other way, and I may be wrong about it, he has changed his mindset from thinking that this land used to belong to whites and now we have to accommodate black people too. And that I think, if you listen to Kali's narrative about the history, the analogy with England, it's also blacks had been excluded. It was our country. Now we have to compromise and how will we do it? It will be on our terms and that will be the future. Go ahead, Kali. No, I, uh, I don't know uh, if it's my English that is bad or it is something it is not, not listening. Good, but it's, okay. it is something not listening. <laughs> um, um, something we definitely don't do, and uh, that has been the case over the last 16 years uh, of AfriForum's existence, is to frame the whole situation in the country in terms of, of black and white. Um, that is a pre-1994 uh, way of looking at things. And we had a re-look on to say, if as a cultural community, we want to uh, survive, but also make sure that uh, we create circumstances where all communities have a future for their children, how we, do we take this on? Um, and we're not about ashamed about the fact that uh, we are mainly Afrikaner organization. That is something totally different than what happened during the, the apartheid era when uh, people identified themselves as simply white. There are nuances towards this. And uh, we also don't see ourselves in isolation towards other communities in this country. And, uh, you know, one can say this, and Pete not, might not hear me, but let's just go with regard to our track record. In terms of what we are busy with at the moment, uh, we see that there is a failure of government. Uh, we see in terms of our history that um, the best way, if you, if you don't have a government that looks after your interests, is to start looking after your own interest. Um, we cannot impose the solution on other communities, but when uh, other cultural communities also want uh, to go that route, uh, we, we are going into cooperation. For instance, 
Um, in this coming week, uh, we will sign a cooperation agreement um, with the Seleka Baralong community in Nuga's post. Uh, Princess Gabu, who is now going to be crowned on the 10th of, of September, we have an agreement to say we're not going to be paternalistic. I think Afrikaners have tried to be paternalistic in the past. That fails. We don't know what's best for everybody in the country. But we can cooperate with communities to say we might differ on many issues, but if you differ on 100 issues and you agree on one issue, it should be possible to cooperate. And uh, we've had our second harvest now, or going to have our second harvest uh, in the near future uh, in that specific community. And then I can name numerous other um, local communities where we cooperate. It's in uh, Pongola. Uh, with a Zulu community there. It is in Nkungumati with a Zulu community that we cooperate there. Um, so um, we, we see there are different factors. There are alpha and beta factors. Um, the beta factors are those that we can uh, um, influence, but they are beyond our control. We cannot tell the ruling party who they should appoint in prominent positions. Um, and we know there's cadre deployment. Um, you can take on those issues in court, but then you have to focus on the, the alpha factors, those where, that you have total control over or a lot of control over. And that is to say, let's take this self-help um, um, concept and build it and get self-strong, self-reliant communities in the country that cooperate with, with one, one another. And this is not an Afrikaner thing only. If you look at the Kosa language, it has a term called Vuku Zenzele, um, which says stand up and, and do it yourself. Um, and they are, these concepts are, are in all cultural groups. And the, the problem is, and um, also in Afrikaner history, we had this self-help uh, program uh, but we lost the plot during the apartheid years where we became government reliant. And if you're government reliant, you become a victim of history. Um, you, if, you, if you can't anymore call the, the member of parliament to have something solved in your community, and you accept we are reliant on government, then, uh, then you're dead in the water, then you'll become a victim of history. But if you say, well, we can do a lot of stuff ourselves within the framework of the law. And that is the way to go, uh, we believe, even though if we have a government today that has the political will, um, we don't have enough resources for, for people to be dependent on government. So mm. we need to foster this. And this is something that exists in cultural communities. And this is what we are going to promote. This is within our our power. And yeah. the, the funny thing is you act, actually have two worlds. Um, if you look at Twitter, you would think our country is on the brink of civil war. Um, but if you work with normal people on, on grassroots level, you find that uh, the vast majority of people are socially conservative and have want to create a future for their children. That gives you a basis to work on. So you have a lot of noise on the, by the political elite and political fights going on, but we should not, it's mm. like Twitter, we should not think that is the South Africa we live in. If you just go uh, down to grassroots level, there's a lot of goodwill and we see it in, in all, all our 165 branches. Okay. We operate with, with communities because there is a willingness to do that um, because I think people are desperate. We have a reason to be desperate, but we can have a solution if we take on the problem ourselves. Pete? Donald, Donald, either Carly didn't prepare for this discussion or he's very nervous because he talks about a lot of unrelated things many a year. But just one thing in response to what he's saying. But listen carefully. I, I, I'm, I'm out of the business of mapping the Afrikaner mind. I myself don't think of myself as an Afrikaner. I happen to be Afrikaans speaking, but I have good news for myself, and that is that the vast majority of even Afrikaans speaking white South Africans don't think of themselves primarily as an Afrikaner. But if you listen carefully to what Kali says, 
and it's as if they they keep on stepping in that pile of poop without noticing it even they keep on hammering about the things that that drives us apart that uh, is the difference between us but the future of south africa lies in what we have in common the constitution is one master narrative that we have in common there's not a single survey that has shown that there's any degree, significant degree of disloyalty by any significant group in South Africa towards the constitution. The constitution guarantees ownership. It allows for the free market economy. It allows for good governance. It allows for the separation of powers. It's all the things that we agree about. But by keep on emphasizing the things that could be different among us, allow Kali to justify why they can operate in isolation as Afrikaners. But the future of South Africa, and I have no doubt about it, the, the whole process of modernity walks and works away from ethnicity, away from the particular to the universal. If you look at Europe, if you look at the, at the Americas, it's what those countries have in common. If you look at the Western political economy, the fact that they have different languages, different religions, doesn't matter. It's what they have in common that will eventually drive their future. That is the one problem that Putin has in Russia. His emphasis on what is making us different from the Ukrainians, the Lithuanians, and, and the Turkish, and whatever. It, it, eventually, he will have to conform to what is what we have in common. And the sooner Kali and the dinosaurs in this Afrikaner, this narrow definition of who is important and who should be uh, in relation to another, the sooner they walk away from that historical conception of we are special, we are different, we are God-given, the sooner they can start emphasizing what we have in common. The solution in South Africa is in what we have in common, not what makes us different. Um, maybe right. if, I don't, if I can respond um, just by, by saying, you know, if I listen to Pitt, it seems he's stuck in the pre-1994 years. And uh, if he says that, uh, that I ans my answers are irrelevant, uh, I was responding to a statement he made. So that means the statement he made would be irrelevant because he said, Afri, as Afri Forum, we are isolating ourselves. And uh, who said that we ever believe that we are special? We are like any other community that have made mistakes, that will make mistakes uh, in the future, but that wants to, wants to make a difference. And, and if you look at all these groupings that attack us. And uh, we're just saying, put the, the track record there. Um, you know, Harry Nell tells me that 95% um, of the people that approach him for assistance are black people. Mm. And, um, and we assist those people. So now to say that we are living in isolation and we are uh, dinosaurs, I think in fact, we are, we are on top of what are the trends um, in this country at the moment. Um, this, this country is not a, a country that, that where culture plays no role. Um, in fact, culture um, gives, brings energy. And the fact that there was, if you look at the constitution, um, if, if Pete says we have to focus on the constitution, then he must focus on the whole constitution that says, we are united in diversity. That means um, if you really support uh, the, the, the constitution, you should have tolerance uh, towards diversity and see how can we foster this diversity towards the, the greater good. But the problem we have is that the left have become increasingly intolerant. Um, towards any other view. Um, if Pete says he's not an Afrikaner, that is his fullest right. And I will, will support him. Uh, why am I left now? Why am I left now? Why do you call me left? Uh, because you, 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 you call me left. Right? If, I, if you're not an Afrikaner, you're left. How, no, that, no. how do you get no, to that logic? Why am I left? Because we see in your arguments, the intolerance that we see in the left all over the world is that so does it, intolerance. it's definitely intolerance. If you're going to call people that, uh, that love their identity, if you're going to call them dinosaurs, that is intolerance, Pete. Um, 
Um, I think we should, we should really, if we want unity and diversity, uh, not uh, call people names and call them dinosaurs, um, I'm, I would be glad if, you, if, you, if you're not on the left, because if you're a liberal, and... Uh, I, I, I'm not a liberal, so don't make a point about it. I'm not even a liberal. Okay, but the fact is, if you... Are you without labels, eh? <laughs> no, you're running out of labels. No, no, no. <laughs> then, then you, you're more what am I next? What will I be next? You can, you're more than capable then to tell us who you, who you are. We know you're not an, an Afrikaner, but um, I think uh, the modern conservative views, and this is not Trumpism, um, but also classic liberalism, which is not what we, we're seeing in the world today, are both that would be tolerant for various view, views. And in terms of the classical liberalism, um, there is a view to say we should allow various views and not see other people's views as inferior. If you say we are dinosaurs, um, you, you use this old strategy to believe that your views are superior and all these stupid other people around you uh, don't know what they're speaking about. You can disagree, but to call people dinosaurs simply because they disagree, I think is not on for me. <clears throat> yeah. Who did I call a dinosaur? You, that, you said these dinosaurs um, that, that are sticking to this old concept of, of uh, culture. I, I, I do think that the idea is a very old idea. That's true. But but let me just let me just. Uh, I think we should move on to real questions. But let me just say one thing. I think I, Carly, the days when the head of the household sit at the end of the table, and the moment even anybody else in authority, those days are over, man. It's long gone. We, have all, we all have an opinion, and I have the right to say that you're wrong. And the moment I say you are wrong, you call me intolerant of your idea because you think my idea is God-given and a right. And if you differ with me, you are intolerant of my idea. In fact, we live in this universalism that I, uh, that I appeal to. It says that we all have the same views. My, when my children was five years old, I told them that for 95% of the day, we are just two people. My word is not more worth, than, uh, worth more than yours. 5% of the day, I will take responsibility for the fact that you're young and that other people can exploit you. But from there on, we're just two human beings. So you don't call me intolerant of your idea because I am telling you wrong. And you know, you must admit that I try to give you some facts and figures on why you are wrong. I'm not saying you're wrong and you must take my word for it like you want me. Either you, this, either you agree with me or you're intolerant of my ideas. But just, let's just get the narrative. We're talking about a universal narrative. We have all the same voices and all the same ideas. And we all could be wrong and we all could be right. You can also be wrong. It's very possible that you are very, very wrong. And I can point you towards the, 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 the areas where I think you are wrong. Do not accuse me of being intolerant of your patriarchal, fatherly, head of the table views that should be respected. I don't respect a single bloody view. I only respect the empirical value of that view, the evidence of that view. I do not respect your view because you are Kali or because you are Aaron's Roots or because you are Afriforum. I have my own views and the, the only difference between me and you is the way that we substantiate our views and one of us is going to be wrong and one is going to be right. That's all. No, um, Pete, um, I never said you cannot say I'm wrong. I think that is your fullest right to... Uh, you call me intolerant when I say you're wrong. You call no, no, me, you people calling people are different from you intolerant. That, no, no, I can call you wrong. You can call me wrong. It's because yeah, you... but not intolerant. Not intolerant. You say I'm intolerant. That's a value adjustment you make. Gentlemen, Every time I... people disagree with you, you call them intolerant. Uh, I just I remind you, the topic of this debate is not a legacy yeah. of apartheid, but please continue, yeah. Kali. I just want to say to Pete, uh, I would want to agree with him, but then we would both be wrong. It's easy. Just get the facts. No problem. <laughs> and you'll agree with me. Yeah, then you have to have, Pete, if you want the facts, look at the World Value Survey um, yeah. that is done also in South Africa. They will see clearly that we are not living in this universal world where we are only individuals. Um, the facts show that... Uh, in this society, we have socially conservative, the majority of people, uh, which take, for sure take their, their identity, they, they feel strongly about that, but we need to foster that. And that is why I'm saying, you know, we, if you look at two polls to say, 
you either have to, if you're an Afrikaner, you have to hate other people and you will only have to look at your own interests. Or on the other side, to be part of a broader whole, you have to say, I'm not an Afrikaner. We say the answer is in the middle that you can. Uh, we can go a third way to say, you can look after your identity, but you can then still to look after other issues um, of, of common concern. And we are not patriarchal in a sense. If you, if you one of our bigger campaigns um, at the moment are, are the whole question of violence against women and children. And uh, we even, Yaku Swart, you know, the guy that abused his wife, we are taking that on because we live in the, in the 21st century uh, where we don't have patriarchal society that looks down on, on women and children. We believe that we should have a society where everybody can play their role, um, but can still be proud of their specific identity. Pete, anything, anything you want to add? No, no, I think that one has been exhausted. You, you can move on if you want to. Okay, but general on this issue, um, um, the constitution of South Africa, one can argue, obviously, it was a creation after the end of apartheid. Do you think, because obviously this plays into everything that we now, um, or perhaps we should have spoken about, but the legacy of apartheid. It was at the end of apartheid, the constitution was created. Is it time that the constitution should be amended? Is this an answer to many of the problems we still see today and the, the, the problems of the past? Pete? Uh, the constitution is a, is a perfect compromise document. It's actually a very colonial document. I often, uh, my colleagues and uh, guys in the ANC that I know, uh, I find it uh, curious how they can be so uh, protective of the constitution sometimes. It's a perfect colonial document. It's a bit of Germany, a bit of uh, Canada, a bit of Switzerland, a bit of the American system, a bit of the British system. There's almost nothing African in that document. It's a it's a compromise between, between two uh, contending uh, sets of elites. And uh, uh, the, the, the history of statehood in Europe was that it, it the state almost boiled to the top. It was, it was the, the, as a consequence, it developed, the constitution developed as a consequence of the real will of the people in societies where there were a great degree of consensus about the greater good. We don't have that benefit about a real consensus about the greater good, so we selected bits and pieces from various constitutions in the world, we formulated it in the form of a compromise, and now we seek to impose it uh, as a form of a general will uh, on society. So it's a little bit more complicated process. That's why we refer to the state building process or the constitutional embedded process. We, 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 it, 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 it's evolving over time. Uh, maybe we, uh, uh, it works over 40 and 50 years. It obviously didn't work well over 28 years, even though I think we've made some good, good progress. In, in, in some areas as well. But the constitution and its uh, sustainability is heavily reliant on what we have in common. And the constitution do make provision for diversity. That's why you have provincial authorities. That's why uh, if you want to amend the constitution, you need uh, uh, the, the, the buy-in of six of the nine provinces, for instance. It, it, is, it does accommodate diversity. It doesn't mean that diversity is completely uh, unimportant. It doesn't mean we all suddenly think the same. We don't think the same. But it, eventually, it is a compromise, and the future of South Africa is heavily reliant on the sustainability of that compromise. And that's why I say, let's just look at the things that we have in common. Uh, I think I share the idea about land ownership, for instance, with Kali in some ways. I'm not, I don't share the, the same historical narrative of how we got to where we are. But I think land, I think assets, I think... Uh, uh, Ownership is of fundamental importance to, for economic freedom. But I do understand that the inequality in South Africa is unsustainable. I do understand that white South Africans had been middle class for a number of generations. Black South Africans largely first generation middle class. And they do not pass on the benefit of that middle class necessarily to the next generation. It takes time. You need to de uh, develop what David uh, likes to refer to as a demographic dividend. In other words, access to capital, access to assets, access to, 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 to good education, access to good medical care. Those things are new to those who've been excluded in the past uh, from the benefits of, 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 of good governance. So it, it, we are at a very different point. And in that respect, we are, we are different. 
our real differences lie in inequality. It lies in access to a demographic dividend, to good education, to good medical services. Our real differences do not lie in the fact that we are Afrikaans, English, Tosa, Zulu. And that's, you sometimes get the idea that that's where Kali's focus is. First of all, we're Afrikaners. And you are now the colored people of the Western Cape. We will co-opt one of your members, one of your esteemed members, and we will pay him a, a nice salary to which he can't say no to. And then we will co-opt you into our model of Afrikaners and colored people and brown people and yellow people, and black people. And then that provides the momentum for our own existence. But that is by emphasizing our differences. The constitution is, the, 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 the real strong point of the constitution is the degree of consensus that exists about it. And that consensus is embedded in the fact that the future is about our universal interest. What it, it doesn't mean that in 50 years, they, although I don't think there will be many Afrikaners left in 50 years, but it doesn't mean that in 50 years we won't have some of the diversity that we have now and that it won't be important. It just means that we cannot build our future on what we disagree about. We have to build our future on what we agree about. Just quickly, um, if, if I heard you correctly, you mentioned that the constitution was not very successful for the past 28 years. And no, 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 I didn't say that. Uh, okay, but well, I think we weren't very successful implementing the constitution. Oh, okay, okay. So no, you I think mean, it's a great document? The ANC made a mess of it. The oh, ANC okay. ruined it. The ANC, much of the fuel that propels Kali's uh, mindset has come from the fact that the ANC has ruined it. So the justification for doing it yourself, which I understand why they do it, because the ANC has ruined it. If, if they don't do it themselves, who the hell is going to do it? I understand. But that's not, that doesn't justify it. It's just, it's the unintended outcome of it. The ANC has to be blamed for the fact that Kali is effective. Ironically, isn't it? <laughs> Kali? No, Peter, I'm glad you say we're effective, uh, but it's, uh, it's not simply myself. I think there's a growing concern, not only amongst um, Afrikaners, but amongst all communities. And that is why we see this kind of cooperation coming forward. With regard to the constitution, we should always see that the constitution is a tool from which we should build the future um, on. Um, and that the constitution in itself, if it is just left in a shelf somewhere, will not save us. And, um, you know, if you look at the US constitution, which has, um, has not changed over more than 100, nearly 200 years, no, what no, is happening? They've changed it. I think that uh, I stand to be correct, but I think there've been 14 changes to that constitution. Yeah, various but amendments. More or less, more or less um, you, you still see that um, the same articles are differently interpreted in terms of what is happening in society. Um, so our view is to say um, the constitution is there and that, that we use in courts whenever we believe the constitution is infringed upon. But you cannot say um, the constitution in itself will lead to prosperity. Uh, prosperity will be built um, when you make sure that you have well-educated people that are able to participate in the new economy. We have uh, a skills mismatch in a sense that because we have 80% of schools that are dysfunctional, you can have all these affirmative action measures in place. If you're not going to have children that go to a good school, like my children go to, my children are, we are fortunate they are able to be taught in their mother tongue. So they are able much more easily than somebody doing it in a second language to, to have maths concepts and science concepts to master those concepts. And they are equipped to participate. So um, if I could change one thing in this country, um, I think the, the best way is to, we have to intervene into schools. And, and that is, um, Pete mentioned uh, the Cape Forum, by the way, we uh, did not go up, uh, he, was, he didn't mention Heinrich Weingart's name, but Heinrich actually came for a, a smaller salary than what he earned. Um, because he had to leave, leave quite a few jobs in the media because he can't be a role player and then also interpret what is happening to the news. Um, but if we take, for instance, the, the, the Cape Forum, which is, by the way, not uh, uh, colored only 
um, organization. I'm a member of the Cape Forum and, and many other people that won't, that see themselves as Afrikaners are also, they are English speaking people that support it. But if we want to, to make sure that we take on, for instance, the, the poverty issue in the colored community, um, we're looking at bursaries for people to study further. But you only have about 700 people completing uh, matric um, in the community that are able to go to university. And now you have all these universities that are competing um, to get these students. But what about those children that don't um, finish school, that get in, gets involved uh, with gangs because there's simply no other life options for them available? And that uh, is Sorry, being... Kali, is it necessary to have colored so-called colored only organizations or so-called Afrikaner only organizations? Why can't it be a South African organization? Why does it have to be this sort of focus? Um, in, in terms of the reality, because we um, paternalism um, is the evil of colonialism. It was the evil of apartheid. And it can also be the evil today. If Kalikril sits here and uh, Pitt said at the head of the table, uh, we would rather have a round table. I can never, as Kali Krill, go into Mitchell's plane and tell them, listen, people, your savior has arrived. Um, I'm going to now tell you what to do to uplift this, com this community. That would be the worst ever paternalism. So what we, what we can do is to say we want to cooperate with communities on an equal basis we cannot prescribe to anybody, but if people want us to assist, um, we've made mistakes, so we can say what not to do, but we've also had successes to, to give information on, on what works. Um, but um, we can be idealistic about this and say, um, um, we are all universal, it should be able to go into Soweto and tell the people, listen, this is the solution. On grassroots, it doesn't work that way. Um, you have to mobilize people within their own communities. They have the trust of their communities to, to make that work. And, and that is our point of view. Um, mm. You cannot say Kalikril is going to now and AFRI Forum now has the solution for everybody. That would simply be paternalistic. Mm. Pete? Yeah, I am. Um... Uh, it's the same theme that Kali is, is, is repeating, you know, and you allow him to just repeat the same story, just use different words to keep on emphasizing uh, the justifications for... Uh, look, I, I'll be, I, I was looking up for the statistics, but I'll be falling off my chair if it's true that only seven other uh, so-called colored children uh, uh, passed matric with matric exemption. I'll be very surprised if that's true. Is, is that true, Kali? Is that affected, or is it just something that you just pop into your mind? No, no, no. Um, what we've uh, done, for instance, in terms of no, no, no. Just, just, just tell me that. Is that seven on the true? Is that seven that on the right? Is that right? That is the figures I have. Um, if we have Heinrich Weinhardt, he actually has more uh, figures in terms of what percentage um, of so throughout are South Africa, throughout South Africa, seven hundred so-called colored kids. Got university exemption, matric with university exemption. That would you say? That is the figures I have, um, but of course, um, I, I, I don't have. I don't have a competing set of figures for you. But sometimes yeah, no. bullshit. Uh, you 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 have no, a bullshit no. antenna. That I'm not. It's not a swear word I'm using. One has a bullshit antenna, uh -huh. and but if that figure doesn't, in some other way, just make your bullshit antenna vibrate. There must be something. If that is what Heinrich, Heinrich Weinhardt says, I hope he's got a good source for that because I will be no, no, no. absolutely astonished. Because no. just at Stellenbosch University last year, I think around that figure, if not more, uh, got access to university. Yeah. If you include the University of the Western Cape, uh, Johannesburg University, it's not possible. So be careful for the facts that you work with. If you work with the wrong facts, you'll get to the wrong conclusions. Yeah. And if Heinrich Weinhardt, and you look, I, I have my doubt about a number of people that is associated with you, but that's very personal in a sense of that, but it's also, there's also factual evidence for it. If Heinrich says that, you must think about his uh, leadership in that, okay. in that, for that, for the uh, form again. It's the same when, uh, when Aaron's roots get up in parliament and uh, 
I, I was I, I so much appreciated when a member of the DA said, I can associate with absolutely nothing that you've said. It, it's because you guys work with the wrong facts sometimes that you come to the wrong conclusions. And I'm not even talking about the fact that you, you use those wrong facts to justify some things. We know that education is in ruins in South Africa. And it is possibly true, and I think there's some evidence towards it, and Kali has alluded to it, that yes, it does help a lot if you have mother tongue as a basic form of education. But, uh, and I, I think this, it's, a, it's a worthy research project on the take. We, we have a lot of in, uh, universities, all universities, I taught at four universities, always a lot of students from Zimbabwe. Almost inevitably, those students that sit in those classes at English, the first day at school, grade one, because they got it from the church schools quite often, the Catholic schools, which teach them in English. They are vastly superior to the local students. In fact, analytically and comparatively as a form of writing style, they do better than the Afrikaans, the children in the, from, coming from Afrikaans schools who has perfect ability to replicate. In other words, memorize, write it down and uh, get a good mark for it. Their analytical ability is usually hampered by the fact that they tend to replicate. So the evidence that it's good to have Afrikaans school, yes, there is some evidence to that, but that's your second choice, the second option. A child that has grown up in a house where you don't have one father figure that tells you what you should th think and how you should think about things, and you've learned from a very young age to speak in a language that's universal, universal applicable, always will have an advantage over those that learn in Afrikaans only, or that grow up in a household where the father is speaking the last and the only truth in the household. So culture plays a role, but exposure is fundamentally important. Education is a more complicated thing than just to say, if you have a, uh, we almost just get uh, our first uh, education in our mother tongue and all will be well. It is not true. There is no evidence that that solves all the problems. It does solve some problems, but not all the problems. It, um... Uh, some of our viewers might think the two of you are more enemies perhaps than you really are. Um, just for a more relative sense, uh, I think there is probably some things that you'd agree that Afri Forum and Cape Forum is doing right. Perhaps, um, am I wrong? Is, is there some things that you think that Afri Forum and Cape Forum is doing right in terms of filling bottles or? No, I... I, I those are the small things, I think. I, I, I think the fact they build a university is the right thing. Uh, I think the fact that uh, uh, Solidarity started a union is, or building a union that exists in the past, it's a good thing. I think if you broaden uh, uh, civil interest, civil society interest into the economy or into the political system, it's a good thing. All those things are good things, but we're not talking about that. We're talking about much more complicated things than that. Okay, and um, in terms of uh, building a university, what would you see differently? As, as, for example, would you rather them stop focusing on mother, mother tongue language and more universal um, form of education in South Africa? I, I think it must build a university for everybody. They must build, they must start a union for everybody. Uh, I, I think uh, Philip Base once at the meeting, he asked me, you have so much to say as a form of criticism. Uh, uh, you know, uh, about what we should be doing in South Africa. What will you do different? So I'll start a union, I'll build a university, I'll build schools, I'll do all those things that you do, but I'll do it for everybody. And I think that's the answer to our problems, isn't that, to do something for everybody. Okay, great. Kali? Well, I think the big challenge that we have is that we have to do some stuff that uh, the government should be doing, but we don't have the taxpayers' um, income um, to do all that. So uh, our resources are, are spread thinly and we do what we can. Um, the fact is, um, if you have a community and that is uh, the, the power also of culture, um, if people uh, want their children to be able to study in Afrikaans, they will be willing to contribute. Um, if you're just going to create a replica from what we are seeing of the University of Johannesburg or WITS, then of course you won't have that cultural um, energy. So um, there's not a problem. Just I just want to refer to Heinrich that uh, these figures that I've mentioned are not Heinrich's figures. Uh, what we did is 
it is, is to start speaking to Soltech and to start speaking to academia to say, uh, what can we do to, to make sure that we also provide access to Afrikaans education um, with regard to the, the colored community? And, and I'm not going to name a specific figure because I don't have it in front of me, but what I can say, what, uh, what academia's figures showed is that though the, if you look at a percentage per population group, um, the colored community is the community where, where the percentage of people going to study further is, is the lowest. Um, so we need to address those kind of, of issues. And um, there's for me not a problem if a community comes to say that we want to start an institution to make sure in a society where Afrikaans is not going to be used on tertiary level, to make sure that we set up something like, like that, but it won't be exclusive. Um, and uh, you can go to Soltech and Academia, uh, figures are, are few, uh, but it is because there's a big struggle and there's not that big number of, of, of young people that, that can uh, qualify to go there. So that is uh, more or less the background with regard to the figures that I've, I've mentioned. Hey, gentlemen, um, this has been a very interesting discussion, perhaps not the one um, viewers might have expected, but still very interesting. Um, Pete, I want to give you one last opportunity. Uh, thank you again, gentlemen. Thank you so much for making the time to join us here. I want to give you one last opportunity, Pete, uh, for a closing statement, anything you want to add as last words. Yeah, look, at uh, any discussion or conversation, uh, for it to be fruitful is that uh, the the idea that instead of uh, making your own point is to hear the other person's viewpoint and much more important is to ask yourself the question, how did that particular person get to that viewpoint? What is the history of that viewpoint? And I think it's important because um, uh, me and Khalid, our differences uh, is in how did we get here and how do we formulate our ideas? Because unless we understand where we are, or how did we get here? it will always be difficult to define the future as well. Not always. Most South Africans actually know that we come from a different past. We know the history. We know the atrocities of the past. We know the misunderstandings. And we say the constitution is a document on which we can build at least on what we have in common. If we keep on emphasizing where we're coming from and our history and why we are special or different or uh, diverse, it's always going to be hard to define uh, uh, a consensus about what the future should look like. And I think, honestly, if we, in the next few years, uh, is what we'll say in South Africa is what we agree on, not what we are different on. Great. And Kali? Yes, I want to agree with Pete on one point, is that he said in these kind of debates, one should listen. And uh, the point I was making time and time again is that we are not in isolation. We don't see ourselves as being at the head of, of the table. We're sitting on this round table in Southern Africa, and we have a specific uh, solution that, that is starting to bear fruit, um, not only in terms of our constituency, but also those cultural communities we, we work with. And, uh, that for me is empowering in the sense that if you don't have a plan and you only see the failures of the ANC, then you become despondent and you believe there is no future and there is no hope. And I truly believe um, that our hope lies into empowering communities to make sure that they are able to promote issues and take on issues where, where government is failing. Um, and of course, um, I, it's Pete's right to, to drive a different solution. And if he is successful with his solution, then I'll be glad. But at this stage, the only solution we see is the one we're working on. Is he still intolerant or is he, does he just have a different opinion? But, uh, um, I yes, Kali, good question. Good question. Can I answer it honestly now? I don't want to give Pete uh, a kiss of death, um, uh, but I am going to. I communicate with him um, uh, outside of this platform, and uh, I will normally not call him intolerant, um, but uh, I, um, I only respond to being called the dinosaur. So 
Um, so no, Pete, um, uh, Pete has a has a role to play. He doesn't need my permission or my stamp of approval, um, but it's important that we have a robust debate. Um, a robust debate is not something that is that is wrong. I think when things go wrong, if people just simply agree on all issues and we all united in going for the wrong solution, so. In that sense, uh, Pete is not the enemy. Great. Well, thank you, gentlemen. Still best friends. Thank you, gentlemen. Um, to our viewers, <laughs> is, is that going too far? Just friends. Good friends. Obviously, obviously. We can't bribe together, not me and Kali. That, that'll be no, awesome. No. He'll, bring, he'll bring his best friend, Roots, there, and that'll be disaster. <laughs> no, no. Um, no, no. Pete is just denying he actually likes me, but uh, he doesn't have to, to say that on this forum. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Well, thank you, gentlemen. Thank you so much for making your time to join us here to our viewers. You enjoyed this content. Like this video, share it as wide as possible, spread their message and subscribe to our channel. My name is Donald. You've been watching Worldview.